0: 16, 17, and 18. Verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen of others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you.
1: Is it on? Okay, there we go. Well, you can hear me now. That's good. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of hungry people here today. That's that's pretty normal, I think. And now that I brought it up, probably everybody's hungry. Uh, we get hungry all the time, right? It's just a part of life. We need to eat, and we get hungry. When it comes to being a Christian, though, um, what are we supposed to eat? And now I'm thinking bigger than just sort of physical food, you know, try to stay with me. Uh, I know some people are just staring at the burger there, probably. Um, did you notice there's a dog in the picture, too? <laughs> um, no, we're talking about something bigger than physical food this morning. I want to talk about something different and, and more important, something that Jesus referred to uh, about himself in John 6. He said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. this language is sort of alarming, right, at first? And I think Jesus probably meant for it to kind of grab our attention. He wants us to change our thinking about something, about how we survive, about how we thrive. He wants us to hunger and to thirst for Him. And as much as we need um, to eat food physically to survive, we need to feed on the things of God if we want to survive in a spiritual sense. This concept, it shows up, I think, really beautifully in the words of King David from Psalm 63. Listen to what he says here. He says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What's your reaction to those words there? Do you relate to His desire? Maybe sometimes we do. I think many of us, though, we read the words of David in the psalm, and you know, we want to have that hunger. We, we want to have that appetite for God. We know we're supposed to be hungry for Him, but sometimes, if we're honest, our appetite just isn't there. What can we do about that? In the months of uh, August and September, we've been trying to communicate what the Bible says and uh, what we believe about the Christian life, about living as a Christian. Uh, We've already talked about worship, uh, and then we've talked about fellowship, and now today we're talking about this concept of being hungry for God. The Christian life is supposed to be characterized by this hunger for Him. But like we just said, sometimes our appetite is, is not really there, is it? And there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes we're not hungry because we've substituted our relationship for God with some other kind of, you could call it junk food from the world. And I think we've all experienced that in some, sort, some way or another. You know, you find out that you're trying to chase something that doesn't really fill you. And after a while, you, you kind of get let down because you're sick and you're unhealthy from chasing this spiritual junk food. But maybe that's another sermon for another time. Uh, another reason maybe we're not hungry is that we simply don't recognize that we're hungry. When you're physically hungry, you know, you usually know it. You've got that grumbling in your stomach. You feel weak or, or maybe you're even, like, hangry. Anybody get hangry <laughs> You know what that's like? Most of us, uh, we recognize our physical hunger, right? But, but we might have a harder time recognizing our spiritual hunger. In fact, we might be starving spiritually, but not really recognize the signs. Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So obviously we can't fill ourselves spiritually with physical food, right? That makes sense. And so it makes sense that when we're spiritually hungry, we're not going to notice it in the same way that we do when we're physically hungry. The signs will be different. And maybe this verse helps us to see some of the signs that we might experience and and uh, that we might feel when we're spiritually like hangry. <laughs> If the kingdom of heaven is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy, if it's a matter of connecting with the Holy Spirit, then being spiritually starved might look like the opposite of these things. Instead of righteousness and peace and joy, instead of a connection with the Holy Spirit, maybe we're going to experience sin and sorrow and stress and a separation from God when we're spiritually starving. How are you doing this morning? Are you spiritually full or are you starving? When was the last time you had a good meal? Are you surviving on junk food right now? Is there too much sin and sorrow and stress in your life? Are you feeling separated from God? Maybe it's time to eat. Maybe it's time to make a habit of eating good spiritual food, a habit of being hungry for God. Or has anyone ever been over hungry? You've ever had that problem where you just wait too long and then it's gone? You lose your sense of hunger. We know, what's that, we know what that's like, right? You're, you're hungry for so long that eventually you just lose your appetite. And I'm suggesting today that I think the same thing can happen to us in a spiritual way as well. Maybe it's been so long that you forgot that you were hungry and you've lost your appetite for him altogether. But we can get it back. That's the good news. Just like with the physical food, when someone, you know, takes a plate of your favorite food and puts it right in front of you and you take that first bite, all of a sudden your appetite re- returns. And I think that's a similar thing that can happen spiritually. In the Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see. That the Lord is good. If you're longing to be hungry again today, or, or if you are starving right now, I hope some of what we're going to talk about today will help us to feed on Jesus. The Bible says a lot about how we can draw near to God in a spiritual way, how we can be hungry for Him. And I hope that some of what we're going to talk about today will really help us with that. Um, In the words of Jesus this morning from the reading that Bob brought us from Matthew 6, he highlights two things, uh, prayer and fasting. These are real things, real spiritual disciplines that any of us can do to draw closer to God, to build our appetite for Him. And I hope that what we're going to talk about today will help us to put these things into better practice in our lives, starting today. So let's look at this first one here. Uh, What Jesus says about prayer. Prayer is about communication, first and foremost. Communication with God. Without communication, there really is no relationship. And we need that relationship. God calls us His sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. He sees us as that close with Him, and this alone is a great motivation to pray. But if we need more motivation, we can find a lot of reasons in the Scriptures. First of all, the early church, they prayed like crazy. Uh, In Acts 1, we see this powerful message here. It says, they being Jesus' disciples, all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then in Acts 2.42, another glimpse into the life of the early church, it says, they, being the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So we see two key words here, I think, that really matter, that they joined together constantly and that they were devoted to prayer, among other things. And I want to highlight that, brothers and sisters, because I think we need to take this example to heart. We want to be like the church that Jesus established, and we need to imitate these examples. And I hope today can maybe serve as a wake-up call to some of us, as it's been it's been serving as a wake-up call to me this week as I've been preparing for this. Could we say these things about ourselves? That we're constantly in prayer with our brothers and sisters. That we're devoted to praying together. I mean, what we do here on Sunday is great. Don't get me wrong. But a few minutes of prayer together on Sunday morning does not equate to what we're reading to here. These people were constantly praying together. They were devoted to it. Prayer was the heartbeat of their lives. It was woven into everything that they did. It was a starting point, not an afterthought. And I have to be honest, I know I have a lot of work to do in this area, but I want what these brothers and sisters of mine had. And I hope you do too. The early church was big on prayer. That's clear from the scriptures. But what about Jesus? You know, in his book uh, on prayer, Tim Keller, he, he had a beautiful section in there that highlighted the prayer life of Jesus, and I wanted to share it. Uh, it says a, it says all these things about how Jesus prayed. In Hebrews 5, 7, uh, Jesus prayed with fervent cries and tears. Uh, and this is pointing out sort of the urgency and, and the emotional aspect of his prayer life. Luke 6, 12 points out that Jesus was committed to prayer and he was even willing to give up an entire night of sleep to pray to his father. Luke 3 shows us that Jesus prayed during His baptism when the Holy Spirit descended on Him. Luke 9 says that He prayed during His transfiguration on the mountain. And during some of the lowest points in His life, like when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when He was on the cross, Jesus was praying. But Jesus was also praying during some of the highest points in His life, like when he fed the 5,000 or when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is praying then too. Jesus prays for his disciples during the last night of his life on earth, prays for the church, and his final words on the cross in Luke 23 are recorded as a prayer to God. Prayer was a part of everything that Jesus did. He shows us how prayer can be a part of what we do too. How we can bring God into everything that happens in our life. When things are going well and when things are going terribly. And it can be that way for us too. I really believe that. It's a way for us to draw every aspect of our lives closer to God. And I know because I've experienced this, when, when we're going through a rough patch, when there's temptation, we want to pull away from God. And I'm not sure why that is exactly. But I, I don't know if you can relate to having that sense that when things are messed up, when things are not going good, maybe we're struggling with sin, we pull away. But that doesn't make sense. Those are the times when we need Him the most. Prayer is not about being good enough. It's about being honest, really. It's about a desire to involve God in everything that we are and everything that we do. So prayer is important. And in the Scriptures, prayer often goes hand in hand with the practice of fasting. Fasting uh, is important, and Jesus connects these, these concepts together in our text that Bob read for us this morning. But if prayer is a tool that we need to dust off, uh, then fasting is a tool that we sort of lost in the back of the tool shed a long time ago. Uh, the practice of fasting is all through the Bible, like all through the Bible. And in many different religions uh, today, practice uh, they practice fasting. But I found some interesting research from Barna. They said, uh, in North America at least, that non-Christian people of faith are twice as likely to fast uh, as people of a Christian faith. So the early church fasted, we've already seen that, and people of faith outside of Christianity have fasted, but at least in North America, we aren't really fasting nearly as much. In our pursuit of being hungry for God, we want to restore the practices that we find in the life of Jesus and in the life of the early church. And so I hope today we can shed some light on this and, and give ourselves a reason to pursue these things. The first thing I want to highlight is that we're talking about spiritual fasting. Spiritual fasting. And I want to make that distinction. We're talking about a decision to fast as part of a spiritual effort to draw closer to God. If our main goal for fasting is weight loss or to get more healthy or some other physical health reason, then that's not a spiritual fast. And by the way, I'm not saying that it's wrong to fast for other reasons, not at all. I'm just saying that's not a spiritual fast. Spiritual fasting is about giving up a physical need to help us focus on a spiritual need there's uh there's a lot of instances uh well and we've also seen this right in our own lives that that people give up other things as well other than food uh in the bible and and that's a good thing too but that's again not really fasting what the bible describes fasting as uh, is what we want to talk about today and I want to be clear about that up front, that we're talking about spiritual fasting. It's a spiritual discipline of allowing your need to, for food to remind you of your greater need for God. If you own a home, you know this. Uh, you know there's, some, there's always something to fix, right? That's just the way it works. Uh, it's kind of annoying. A couple of years ago, I, I noticed uh, some, something on our house. I was, uh, I was up on a ladder looking at our windows. And I noticed the paint on one of our windows was a little bit sort of bubbling. And, you know, I felt like I should just sort of ignorance is bliss and walk away. But I didn't. And I scratched the paint off. And I wanted to see what was going on. And all of a sudden, I saw something like this. And so I kept scratching. And I found a lot more... Wood damage. There was a lot of rotten wood hiding underneath the, the the paint, and I kept peeling it back, and I and I noticed that I needed to actually just sort of replace all of that wood because it was it was rotten. It was a lot of work, but but the whole point of this is to say that it was only when I started weakening the facade of that paint that I could really appreciate how much TLC that that window needed. What does that have to do with fasting? Well, maybe it's not a perfect illustration, but I think fasting is something like that first step of of scratching off the paint. As humans I think we have a common tendency to sort of gloss over or, or maybe forget about how fragile we really are. A facade, if you like, sort of like the paint. Maybe we hit a good patch in life. We feel like we've got things sort of figured out. You know, sure, it's not perfect, but maybe we're, we're feeling pretty good. You know, we're, we're pretty wise, we're pretty strong, pretty independent. Our needs are met. Maybe even we would think that we're self-sufficient. But fasting is sort of like scratching off that little facade on our life. We, when we skip out on some food, we voluntarily weaken ourselves just a little bit. And if we approach it humbly, we get a glimpse into how fragile we really are. And how much we truly depend on God to get through the day. And if we follow that train of thought, we might even gain a little more perspective into how much we need God for other things as well. Not just physical food, but also our need for His wisdom our need for his guidance our need for his mental our our need for him for our mental strength and our spiritual strength how much we need his help to deal with our failure and our sins our temptations how much we need his intervention in our lives it's a powerful way to build our faith as one of my instructors said fasting is not so much an act that we do as it is an experience with god And I think that's an important distinction. It's not about earning spiritual points. That's not what it's about. It's not about uh, trying to look good. It's about drawing closer to Him. It's about appreciating who He is. And it's really more for us, I think, than it is for God. God doesn't need us to fast. But we need to fast so that we can appreciate how much we need God. God. God doesn't need us to fast, but we need to fast so we can appreciate how much we need God. So that's sort of the why, maybe the why. We've talked about the why of fasting, but we haven't really talked about what it is. And maybe we should have started there, but there are so many examples of fasting in the Bible. I, I got to, I found 35, but I think there's way more. Um, There's there's a whole bunch of instances of fasting in the Bible, but there's also multiple teachings on the subject, like it's all through the Scriptures. But we're not going to be able to cover all that today, obviously. But I want to point out sort of a couple themes or a couple important things from uh, what I've looked at. First is that fasting is not just one thing. It's not just one thing. Even if we're talking about fasting that's just specifically related to food and drink, it's still not just one thing. In the Bible, there are at least three types of fasting. The first is often called a normal fast, where it where somebody uh, has decided not to eat, but they're still drinking liquids, right? That's sort of what is called often a normal fast. Jesus fasted in this way in the wilderness in Luke 4. You can go look that up. There's also another type of fasting that's often called a partial fast. And, and this type of fasting is where someone abstains from just like a certain, a certain list or a certain type of food or drink. We see this with the Nazarite vow in number 6. We also see it when Daniel decides not to eat meat or drink wine in Daniel 1 and again in Daniel 10. Uh, and in addition to these two types, there's also a third category that's often called an absolute fast. Well, that one's pretty self-explanatory. Absolutely nothing. Uh, abstaining from all food and all drink. This is what Esther did in Esther 4 when she was going to go approach the king. She and her companions had an absolute fast for three days. So there's a lot of flexibility in this spiritual discipline. And it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all situation. The person who is fasting makes the choice about how they will fast. And this goes along with the next thing I want to highlight, and and that's that even though fasting shows up everywhere in the Bible like we've been talking about, in terms of actual commands, in terms of an actual like procedure from God, there's not really a whole lot. There's like a few examples where God sort of tells people that they should fast, but there's really not much in proportion to the amount of times we see fasting show up in the Scriptures. One of the clear examples, uh, the few clear examples, is from Joel chapter 2, where it says this, "...even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments." This is one of the few times in the whole Bible where God issues like a direct command for his people to fast. But even here, the focus of the command is more on them changing their heart than it is on on the practice of fasting. And I think that there's something to this. The fact that there are relatively few commands about fasting is significant because it shows us that fasting is supposed to be a voluntary exercise. It's kind of like giving a gift. You know, if we tell a friend, we tell our close friend, you know, we want a gift. I want you to buy me a gift. And then we tell them exactly what we want and what color and, and where they should go buy it and how to wrap it. And then they, they give us the gift. It's like, well, was that really a gift? I don't know. <laughs> it's much more meaningful if that friend were to be out and see something and think of us and, and buy it and give it to us, right? I think fasting is something like that too. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about a hunger for God. There's, there's not really a lot of rigid rules about fasting because it's supposed to be a voluntary decision. And God leaves a lot of flexibility in it for that reason. In the Bible, I just want to point out some of the flexibility we see. In the Bible, we see flexibility in terms of length. From just one meal in Daniel 6 all the way up to 40 days in, uh, in the case of Jesus or Moses or Elijah. We see flexibility as well in terms of the types of foods that people gave up, ranging from just some types of food and drink, as in Daniel's case, all the way up to every type of food and drink in the case of Esther. We also see flexibility in terms of like the reason or the motivation for fasting. Uh, Daniel fasted to show repentance and to seek God's mercy. Israel fasted to show their, their need for mourning and a desire for God's guidance. In Judges 20, the new, uh, in Judges 20, they did that. And in the New Testament, we see Christians fasting for, uh, important events. They would fast before important events, like in Acts 13. And we see them fasting as well when they appoint elders in Acts 14. We also see Jesus fasting to fight temptation and to prepare for ministry in Matthew 4. And I know this is a lot here, obviously, uh, but I'm trying to point out something that I think is really important. Because I want to stress something that I think the Bible shows us pretty clearly that there is no one way to fast. There's no one way, there's no rigid procedure to follow. God doesn't give us rigid rules about fasting, and so we shouldn't put any rigid rules on each other either. But with that said, even though there's a lot of flexibility in terms of the how, fasting as a practice is still something that Jesus expected his followers to do. In our reading today, Jesus doesn't say if you fast, he he says when you fast. And again, it isn't a direct command. This isn't a direct command here, right? But we see that he assumes that his followers will be people who want to fast. And another thing that needs to be pointed out here is that, you know, this is probably the most important thing. Jesus doesn't give us any rigid rules about how he expects uh, his followers to fast, but he, he will not compromise on one thing. And that is the condition of the human heart when we're fasting. This is the same for fasting and prayer. And it's so important that we understand this. Fasting is not about an outward display. It's not about looking good before God. It's not about looking good before other people. Like we've already said, fasting and prayer are part of an effort to draw near to God, to be hungry for Him. The same idea comes up again uh, when Jesus is talking about fasting again in Mark chapter 2. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. It's the exact same concepts again here, right? Right? Jesus says that His disciples would not be fasting during this time of celebration, this time when they had Emmanuel, God, with them in the flesh. But a time was coming when they will fast. Jesus anticipated a future time when His followers would fast. Another similarity in this passage here is the link again between between fasting and the condition of the human heart. When... when when things were good, when they were with Jesus, they were close with God, they didn't need to fast then. But when they were going to be distant from him, when they were going to sense a need for God in the future, they would need to fast at that time when they were hungry for him. This is when he expected his followers would be fasting. And again, there's nothing here about like a procedure about like a a strict thing that we need to do to follow this. He just says that they will fast. And I think this pattern is pointing us to a conclusion, and I don't know, maybe this is sort of controversial to say, but I really believe that the decision for the Christian today is not whether or not to fast, but rather it's how can I fast in the most appropriate way, knowing myself. Right, maybe you can't stomach the idea of giving up all food and drink. I hope you get the the joke there. Uh but that that's okay. You know, fasting is not just one thing. That's what I'm trying to stress. And the Bible gives legitimate examples of people who were were fasting while they were still eating food. They just gave up certain types of food for a time. If you don't think you can fast for an entire week or, or for a day, that's okay. Fasting is not just one thing. And the Bible gives legitimate examples where people fasted for as little as just one meal. In fact, if you haven't fasted before, that's probably where you want to start. Small. Start small. Um, And if you have a health issue... Maybe you're dealing with diabetes or maybe you know just for whatever reason that your body can't handle going without food, then just don't do that. You know, don't do a total fast. But if but that doesn't mean you have to rule out fasting altogether. I, I hope that you're understanding what I'm trying to say. This Remember, you know, in the Scriptures, fasting is more than just one thing. It's not a rigid ritual that must only be done in one way. The Scripture gives us so much flexibility for fasting that I think it's fair to say that anyone can do it if they want to. So we've talked about the importance of prayer and the importance of fasting and how they can help us develop that hunger for God. But I just want to end off with a couple of quick things um, to help us consider what we might want to think about when we're trying to put this into practice. The first and this goes sort of for fasting and prayer, maybe this first one's more specifically for prayer, is that we need to be willing to make space in our lives for these things. This comes in the form of making time and eliminating distractions, which might be a tall order for us, right? We live busy lives. We live distracted lives. So this is something that we need to really pay attention to. Jesus knows about being busy too. One time, uh, he was over at Peter's house in Bethsaida. And in Mark 1, it points out that the whole town was coming to him to be healed. Like the whole town, they were just coming to his house. It was a very, very busy time for Jesus. But he still made time for prayer. This is what it says in Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, like the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left that house... And went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It took commitment and sacrifice. He had to get up early. But Jesus made the time. And he serves as an example for us. He also taught us about eliminating distractions. In our text uh, that, that Bob read, he said that when we pray, we should go into a room and shut the door. It's partly, I think, a comment about not drawing attention to ourselves, but I think also he's describing this effort to shut things out, or maybe for us it's more to shut things off that distract us from prayer and from fasting. Depending on our life situation, we won't always have the luxury of being completely undistracted. I I understand that. But we should still do what we can to eliminate the distractions that we can the barriers that get between us and God, the barriers that stop us from being hungry for Him. And I want to leave us off with this last point here. When you pray or when you fast, above all else, please do it for the right reasons. I think this is the main point of what Jesus was teaching in our Scripture today. He said, when you pray and when you fast... So we know that He wants us to do these things, but it's imperative that we do them for the right reasons. Our motive should never be uh, to gain respect in the eyes of other people. Uh, Our motive shouldn't be to see it as sort of like a God as a vending machine sort of thing where we put in certain things and He gives us certain things. That's missing the point of all this. When we pray... When we fast, it's about our desire to draw near to God and refocus our lives on what's really important. It's a way for us to remember the words that Jesus said in Matthew 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Powerful words. If you're feeling distant from God today, or if you're ready to build that hunger for God again, Or maybe for the first time. I hope that what we've talked about will help you with that this morning. I hope that it will help you start moving in that direction. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Today we've been talking about some important ways that we can seek God, I think, with all our heart. And I hope that you're... Eager to put these things into practice. If you've realized this morning that you're not hungry for God, and you want to, uh, and you just maybe you just need some support in your life with prayer, or maybe some of the things we've talked about with regards to fasting, it sort of piqued your interest, and you want to grow more in that area. Please come and talk to me about that. If you, if you need some help, I know personally I need to grow in these areas. And I I would really appreciate having some of my brothers and sisters come alongside me in this. Uh, So if you're interested, uh, please reach out and we can chat more about it. Or maybe you came here this morning uh, and you were hungry for food. You were thinking about that burger. But now you're even more hungry for God. If you're ready to feed on the true bread of life today, if you're ready to make that decision to die to your old way of life, to begin a new life with Jesus if you're ready to commit to Him and and join Him in the waters of baptism this morning, if you're ready for that next step, please don't wait. It's time to eat. Thank you for your time.